It is great to see all of you. I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm glad for those of you who are joining us online or are in the gathering place. It is good to be here this morning. Amen? Amen. I will go one step further, and I will say that I am jacked to be here this morning. I am. This morning, we're opening up the book of Philippians, and we're going to be in the book of Philippians for 15 weeks. 15 weeks, we are going to hear encouragement from Paul on how to live this life following Jesus. Actually, more specifically, it's encouragement from Jesus himself on how to live a life following him. And the book of Philippians is primarily about knowing Jesus better. So if you are here this morning and you don't know him, this gives you the opportunity to come to know him. And if you're here this morning and you have known him for 50 years, you still have the opportunity to know him better. And knowing him better results in more joy in our lives, joy that can only come from following Jesus. So what we're going to do together is we are going to fight for joy. Now, I want you to think about something as we think about this theme throughout the book of Philippians, and I want you to recognize this, that this is not a study for you to observe. This is a study for you to participate in. This is not about observation. It's about participation. In that regard, I'm not just getting up here and preaching a sermon series on something that I studied a few months ago. It's more than just me speaking to you. It's more than just one person. You see, it took a team to put this together. Andy and the worship team, the tech team, our communication team, all came together to create this series, and not so that you can observe, but so that you can participate. Because we are about following Jesus together. This is the community of Jesus Christ in this place. That's what Calvary Church is. So remember, not observation, participation here this morning and as we leave this place today we are still participating together in living the joyful life that Jesus has for us and sharing that with the community in which we live follow me Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for bringing these people into this place. I thank you for the people who are watching online, the people that are in the gathering place. Lord, we have gathered to hear from you this morning. Lord, we are opening up the book of Philippians and we anticipate great things. Not because of anything any one person or a group of people has done, but because of your spirit, Heavenly Father, that we believe fills this place and fills each one of us as your followers. Lord, activate your spirit in us, conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Make us more like him so that we may live our lives for him and experience the joy that only he can bring. Lord, we look and we are excited for what you are going to do through this study in Philippians. And Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we start off right with the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians has an interesting backstory. In 51 AD, Paul and a group of team members, if you will, Timothy, Silas, and Luke, Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke were on a missionary journey in 51 AD. 
They're on a journey and they're intending to go into Asia Minor to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But one night, Paul has a dream. He has a vision in the middle of the night and he has a vision of a man standing before him, begging him to come to the region of Macedonia. So the next morning, Paul wakes up and he and his team members completely change their course. And instead of going into Asia Minor, they believe that God has now called them into Macedonia, which was part of Europe. So Paul and his team members begin their journey to Macedonia. And after traveling for a while, they come to the city of Philippi. Philippi was a Roman city in Greece, which is in the region of Macedonia, which is part of Europe. They come to Philippi, which, as I said, was a Roman city. It's so Roman that people referred to it as Little Rome. If you were in Philippi, it was like you were actually in Rome. Philippi was a cultural center. It was an educational center. It was a political center. It was a center of thought and philosophy. It was much like the city of Rome. It was also like Rome in that it was extremely pagan in worldly city. So Paul and his team, upon entering Philippi, look for a synagogue because that's what Paul typically did when he went to a new city. He would try to find believers in the one true God who would be meeting at the synagogue, but there was no synagogue in Philippi. Remember, it's a worldly city. It's a pagan city. There's not many Jews in Philippi, so there's no synagogue. So Paul finds the next best thing. He finds a woman's prayer meeting down by the river. And at this prayer meeting, he meets a very successful business person named Lydia. Paul shares the gospel of Jesus with Lydia, and Lydia receives Jesus as her Lord and Savior. She comes to believe. Paul then baptizes Lydia right in that river. Lydia then invites Paul and his team back to her house to celebrate, to worship. Well, the story continues. After Lydia and members of her household come to faith in Jesus, Paul meets a young slave girl who is tormented by an evil spirit. So now the story gets really crazy. Paul casts the evil spirit out of this young slave girl. She's free. But her owners are not very happy because she was a profit center for them. She would fortune tell and they would receive money for her fortune telling. So not only are the owners upset, but now the owners get other people in the city of Philippi upset with Paul and his team as well. So upset that Paul and Silas are arrested, they're beaten, and they're thrown in jail. Well, one night while they're in jail, Paul and Silas begin to pray and they begin to sing because I guess that's what you do in jail. 
So Paul and Silas are praying and they're singing in jail. And that one night around midnight, there's a violent earthquake that shakes the city of Philippi. And this violent earthquake not only shakes the city, but it shakes the foundation of the prison. And the gates of the prison cage open up and the chains are loosed and they fell off. And Paul and Silas are seemingly free, but they remain. They remain in the prison. The prison guard, he's so shaken because he's worried that all these prisoners are going to escape and it's on him. He's so shaken that he pulls out his sword to actually kill himself. Paul exclaims, stop, don't do it, don't kill yourself. At that point in time, the prison guard recognizes that this is an act of God. And he falls on his knees before Paul and exclaims, what must I do to be saved? Paul answers, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The text tells us that that prisoner guard experienced joy that he had never experienced because he had come to believe in the one true God. This is the story of the founding of the church at Philippi. Because after the prison guard is saved, he goes back and he tells his family and members of his household come to believe. These new believers then gather again at Lydia's house to celebrate, to worship, to proclaim the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Lydia and her household, some other women who were down by the river, a young slave girl, a prison guard in his household were the founding members of the church at Philippi, the first church in all of Europe. And this church, the church at Philippi, was near and dear to Paul's heart. It was a special, special church for Paul. Now, fast forward to 61 AD, 10 years later. Paul again finds himself imprisoned. But this time he's not in Philippi. This time Paul is at Rome and he's awaiting trial before Caesar. He's chained 24-7 to a Praetorian guard. This is one of Caesar's elite troops. He's chained to this Praetorian guard 24-7. He can see visitors, he can preach, but he is not free to go where he chooses. He's in prison. Well, the church at Philippi, they hear of Paul's imprisonment. So they decide that they are going to send someone with a gift for the apostle Paul. They send a man named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is carrying, carries a gift to Paul in Rome to care for his personal needs. When Epaphroditus arrives in Rome, he becomes incredibly sick, so sick that they believe that he's going to die. But Epaphroditus doesn't die. He recovers, and upon his recovery, Paul sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi with a thank you note of encouragement and instruction. The note is found in our New Testament. It's the book of Philippians. It was a note of warmth 
and love, encouragement, and instruction to the church at Philippi? And it is a note of warmth, love, encouragement, and instruction to you and to me. You see, what Paul does in the book of Philippians is he proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ and he proclaims the joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ no matter what experience you may be going through. Paul writes the book while imprisoned in Rome. And while imprisoned, he writes this book that includes over 20 times the word joy or rejoice. And in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, and even in the midst of suffering, Paul proclaims the joy that can only come through Jesus Christ. Paul proclaims that you may have joy in Christ on the mountaintop and you as well may have joy in Christ while you are in the valley. And we know, don't we? We know what it's like to be on the mountaintop. And many times while we're on the mountaintop, that joy is easily available. But it's when we are in the valley, when we are facing trial, when we are facing difficulty, when we are facing a life that is full of suffering that we wonder, Lord, where does this joy come from? The joy comes from knowing Jesus. And that is Paul's goal in this book of Philippians, that we would know Jesus and know him better and as a result experience the joy that only he can bring in our lives. But we do need to recognize that that joy is not natural. It is not a natural response to life's difficulties, to life's situations. So we must pray and we must fight for that joy. So that is what we are going to do together. We are going to pray and we are going to fight together for the joy that can only come through Jesus. So how do we start? Well, we start where Paul started. So if you're not there already, grab a Bible. There's one in the rack in front of you and take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter one. It's found on page 950 in that Bible that was in front of you in the rack that's now in your hands. This morning, we are going to look at the first two verses of the book of Philippians. Now, this is a beautiful greeting to the church at Philippi, and it is also a greeting to us. But this is actually much more than a simple greeting. It is packed with theological truths about our identity. You see, to fight for joy, we must first know who we are. Did you hear me? To fight for joy... We must first know who we are. Paul starts with identity. Now, when I think about identity, I think about many different categories of identity. When I think about my own personal identity, there are many ways that I could describe myself. I'm the grandson of a Swedish immigrant, so I'm one quarter Swedish yet three-quarters Dutch. I'm also married 
heterosexual, slightly conservative, white male. Those are ways in which I could identify myself to you. But here, none of those identities are the ones that Paul is referring to. Paul is not referring to those identities. The reason is because none of those identities leads to joy. Did you hear me? I want to be clear right here up front. None of those things that I could claim about myself as my identity lead to joy. The point that Paul is making in this letter and primarily here in these two first verses is that crazy joy only comes from being a Christian. Crazy joy only comes from being a follower of Jesus and then receiving and believing who he says that we are. So what Paul does here, it, Paul lays for us the foundation of joy by giving us an explanation of our identity in Christ. If you're taking notes, you may want to write that down. What Paul does in these first two verses is he lays the foundation for joy by giving us the explanation of our identity in Jesus Christ. So let's look at these first two verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are now going to look at three marks of identity. Three marks of identity. First, immediately at the beginning of this letter, Paul identifies himself and Timothy as servants of Jesus Christ. This is how Paul identifies himself and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Now, interestingly, he could have, but he doesn't identify himself as an apostle. He does that in other letters. He does it in the book of Romans, but here he chooses to identify himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about this is that in the Greek language, there are a number of words that can be translated into our English word servant. I've identified four of them for you here. There is the diakonos, Greek word that means a servant who ministers. Therapon means an attendant. Oiketes means a house servant. Mystios means a hired servant. Paul is not referring to any of those descriptions. He does not use any of those words. He's not saying a servant who ministers, an attendant, a house servant, a hired servant. Paul does not use those Greek words. The Greek word that Paul uses is doulos. Doulos is defined as a bond slave. This word literally means slave. When Paul chooses a word to identify himself and Timothy, he uses the word slave, which means one who is bound to another. 
A doulos is a relationship that can only be broken by death. And here's the thing. To the Greeks of this day, this identifier would have been intolerable. To the Jews of that day, this identifier would have been one of the worst things that you could call them. And to you and to me, in the current culture in which we live, with our unjustifiable history of slavery, this title is repulsive to us as well. Yet Paul deliberately and intentionally labels himself a slave to Jesus Christ. The word servant is not a strong enough word. Paul does something very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 19 and 20. Look what he writes there. He writes, do you not know? Do you not know that you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Do you not know, people? You were bought. You were bought by Jesus. You were bought by Jesus at a price, his death on the cross, which means if you are a follower of Jesus, you are not your own. You are a slave, and Jesus is your master. And as your master, he has the privilege and he has the right to tell you how and where to live. He has the privilege and the right to tell you how to spend your time and your money. He even has the right to tell you how to think. That's because he is your master and you are his slave. Do you want to experience joy? Do you want to experience joy? That's an easy question with a very easy answer. If you want to experience joy, the recipe is identify yourself as a slave of Jesus Christ because then the joy follows that identification as a slave of Jesus Christ. Now I know that this is not resonating with some of you. I can see it kind of in your eye. I can feel it. I get it. Nobody really wants to be called a slave of anybody. We don't live in a society, we don't live in a culture where we think of ourselves as slaves of anybody. But be clear, you are a slave of someone or something. Did you hear me? You are a slave. You are a slave of someone or something. Jesus has this very interesting conversation with Jewish people who believed in him. Turn back to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. It's found on page 868. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Makes sense, right? If you obey what I have to say, then you're my disciple. Jesus then continues, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, they respond, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you. That means he's serious. 
Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, you are either a slave to sin or a slave to Jesus. It is one or the other. There is no other choice. And let me remind you, sin is not a good master. All sin wants to do is kill you. All sin wants to do is destroy you. Sin is evil by definition. Sin leads to death. Not just death upon death, but death in this life now. Sin is a terrible master, but Jesus, Jesus is a wonderful master. Jesus is kind, he's loving, he's merciful and gracious. And Jesus leads you to freedom and eternal life. Serving Jesus leads to joy. So the question that you need to ask yourself is who am I? Ask yourself, who am I? Now, you may say that you're a Christian, but are you willing to proclaim that you are a slave to Jesus Christ? That you are going to do what he tells you to do? No matter how difficult, no matter how inconvenient, that you are going to say what he tells you to say, no matter how difficult, no matter how inconvenient? Are you a slave to Jesus Christ? And my friends, here's the thing. Many people call themselves Christians. Many, many, many people in West Michigan call themselves Christians. But the truth is, is that they actually live every day for themselves, not for Jesus. It's more like Jesus is their slave than they are a slave to Jesus because they ask Jesus to do things for them. They ask Jesus to make them happy. They make demands, they make more demands of Jesus than they actually submit to his instruction. Does that describe you? If it does, it's my guess that you have very little joy in your life. The reverse is also true. If you have very little joy in your life, it's my guess that that describes you. You see, the first thing, the first mark of identity is recognizing that identity is linked to your joy. Identity starts by proclaiming yourself a slave to Jesus Christ. Second, turn back to Philippians Turn back to Philippians chapter 1, the second mark of identity. Verse 2, verse 1 continues, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Paul here identifies who he's writing to. He's writing to those at Philippi, but he's also writing to us. And here he gives us further explanation of what it means to be a Christian. If you are a Christian, it means that you are one of God's holy people. Some translations say holy ones. You are, in other words, a saint. Some of your translations declare that you are a saint in Christ Jesus. 
If the slave identification makes us think about the lowest rung on the social ladder, this conveys a place of prominence and importance in the eyes of God. Now, when I think of a holy one or when I think of a saint, I think of somebody that, 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 that super, super spiritual person. They do everything right. They pray when they're supposed to pray. They say praise Jesus when they're supposed to say praise Jesus. They are really, really super spiritual. You may think that as well. Like if you have a Catholic church history background, you may think that it's the really, 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 really super spiritual people who the Catholic church has identified as saints and has placed them in a position of honor. Neither of those descriptions are accurate. You see, what Paul is proclaiming here is that every follower of Jesus Christ is a saint. Every Christian in Philippi was a saint. Every Christian who is here this morning listening to me, every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, God has proclaimed you a saint. He uses this term over 60 times in the New Testament as a description, as an identifier of those who follow Jesus. You are a saint. And in this context, it means that you are a set-apart one. You are set apart for God. It means that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you asked him to forgive you of your sins, when you decided that you were going to follow him because he is Lord and he is Savior, God sets you apart. He sets you apart to love Jesus. He sets you apart to worship Jesus. He sets you apart to serve Jesus. Do you understand what God is saying about you? You're a saint. And then it continues. It says you're a saint set apart in Christ Jesus. Now briefly, this is key to understanding our salvation all Christians, when they come to faith in Jesus, experience a spiritual union with Jesus Christ, which means what is true of Jesus, what is true about Jesus, is also true of you, is also true about you. So when Jesus died to sin, that means you died to sin. When Jesus rose to new life after his resurrection, it means you rise to new life in Jesus Christ. You, as a saint, a set-apart one, have new life in Jesus Christ. You see, Paul does this very interesting thing. He identifies himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. And then he proclaims, he speaks over you as a follower of Jesus, that you are a saint. Amen? Now let's look at the third mark of identity. Look at verse two. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a standard greeting in ancient writings, but it's more than just a standard greeting here. We need to identify ourselves as recipients of God's grace and God's peace. As a Christian, you are a slave to Jesus Christ. You are a saint in Christ Jesus. And thirdly, you are a recipient of God's grace and God's peace. Grace simply is God's unmerited favor. It's God's blessing on you when you receive Jesus. God 
grants his grace, his unmerited favor to you. And he promises to shine that upon you for the rest of your life. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, God's love and his grace, his unmerited favor, he gives to you and he now identifies you as a recipient of his grace. And this grace is only given to those who know they've messed up. It's not given to those who think they deserve it. This is Paul. Paul was a Jew who persecuted Christians. That's a nice way of saying Paul went around killing Christians. But then he met Jesus and everything changed for the better. Paul recognized that his identity was no longer in self, but was now in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul does is he sheds all his past identity. Look with me, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Quickly, turn to Philippians chapter 3. And look at the second half of verse 4 of Philippians chapter 3. Because of God's grace, Paul shed his past identity... Look what Paul writes about his past identity. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And now Paul lists his identities. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrew, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based upon the law, faultless. You see, because of God's grace, because of his unmerited favor, Paul gave up his past identity to live for Jesus Christ. That's why he writes what he writes in verse 7. Look what he writes. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. You see, Paul had been set free. He was no longer a slave to sin. Now he identifies himself intentionally and proudly as a slave to Jesus Christ and as a saint in Christ Jesus, as a recipient of God's grace and God's peace. Now I am sure that if you are here this morning and you have received God's grace and you have received his unmerited favor, I know you need to know this morning that you have been set free. But here's the thing. Many of you are holding on to other identities and you're not experiencing the joy that God has for you. When I asked you to answer the question, who am I? Some of you went first to your nationality. Some of you went to your marital status. Some of you went to your gender. Some of you went to your sex. Some of you went to your race. Some of you went to your political affiliation. My friends, you need to shed those identities because those identities will not bring you the joy that Jesus has promised for your life. This is what Paul does. Paul sheds every identity that he had before Jesus and recognizes, claims to be a slave to Jesus Christ. He declares that he is a saint along with all other followers of Jesus in Christ Jesus, that he's a recipient of God's grace. I'm telling you, friends, if you are identifying yourself with any one of those other identities as your primary identity, 
you are keeping yourself from the joy that Jesus has for you. My friend, please, shed the identity and take up the identity of Christian, follower of Jesus. And then look what it says. And then it says, the peace will come. You see, peace is a response to experiencing God's grace. And the order is important here. You do not get peace without experiencing God's grace. First, God's grace, his unmerited favor, and the result of that grace is peace. There's an interesting bumper sticker that says, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Now, when I say it, it sounds exactly the same. But when you see it, you see the difference. See, knowing Jesus means you will know peace. If you exclude Jesus from your life, you will not experience the peace that he has for you. Do you see what Paul has done here in these first two verses of the book of Philippians? He has intimately connected our identity with the joy that we are to experience in Jesus Christ. And if you are here this morning and you are not experiencing the joy of Jesus, my encouragement to you is to shed those other identities. If you are here and you don't yet know Jesus, recognize that he is the pathway to joy. Even in the midst of trials, difficulties, and suffering, he will provide you joy. And there are some of you who are Christians, who are here, who are identifying yourselves in ways that are not productive and do not lead to joy. One short test. How do you identify yourself on your Instagram bio? How do you identify yourself on your Facebook bio? How do you identify yourself on any other media, social or otherwise, bio? See, the foundation for joy is recognizing, first proclaiming that you are a slave to Jesus Christ and he is your master. Recognizing that God calls you, proclaims you, and sees you as a saint in Christ Jesus. And then thirdly, recognizing that you are a recipient of God's grace and peace. My friends, this is how Paul starts on the path to joy. Are you a slave to Jesus? Are you a saint in Christ Jesus? And are you a recipient of God's grace and peace? Do you want to experience his joy? Do you want to experience his joy?
My friends, we are going to do it together. We are going to fight for joy together. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.